Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Local voices, local conversations. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. We all know that today being a part of law enforcement is a tough job. To do it for 37 years seems daunting, but that's exactly what Napa's retiring police chief, Rich Melton, has done. The last 10 of those 37 years as our police chief here in Napa. Before Napa, he was the police chief in Farmington in Los Alamos, New Mexico. He grew up in California and began his career in San Luis Obispo. He became chief of police in Napa in 2004, and it is my pleasure to welcome him to NapaBroadcasting.com. Chief, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Jeff. And today is your official last day, you were saying to me earlier. It is. How does that feel to, after 37 years, not just the 10 years that you've been here in Napa, but after 37 years in law enforcement, to be stepping aside? And you may do something that's law enforcement related, but it'll be different. Yes, it will be. I, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic. It seems like another day. Um, so I don't really have major plans in terms of what what's next, just... Um, uh, making sure that I get things finished here and uh, completed and um, to the extent that I can. As you look back on the 10 years here, how has how have things changed? How has Napa changed as a place? And, and how has that interfaced with how law enforcement's changed over the past 10 years? Well, I, I think as a city, um, in, the, in the 10 years that I've been here, you see a lot more in the downtown, um, a lot more activity. You see a lot of... Um, you know, a lot more tourism. Uh, the the media, in terms of expectations of information, is um, much greater than it was even 10 years ago. Um, the accessibility of what's going on is greater. And in policing, um, because we're out there 24-7, uh, you know, and we do have a lot of information, we're having to be more responsive um, in getting information out. Um, people expect to know what's going on, and they expect to know almost real time. And so that's put a lot of demands on us. Uh, the challenge is getting that, making sure that when we're putting information out, it's accurate. The sooner you put it out, a lot of times, the less time you have to scrub it and recheck it. And if it's inaccurate, um, then there's you know speculation that maybe there's some ulterior reasons or motives and those sorts of things. What kind of information specifically about particular crimes, about incidents that may happen? What are the kinds of things, that, the kinds of information that you have to always be getting out there? Well, I think, you know, part of what we're seeing is, um, particularly because of video and photo and the ability to um, really push that out to a lot of people through social media, um, there can be narratives that are um, put in play that may not be accurate, um, but they may be very related to very emotional kinds of um, uh, crimes or events. And so I think trying to uh, make sure that we're you know, paying as much attention to that as we can and being as responsive as we can, uh, because it is really critical that um, we still stay focused on the, the task at hand. But at the same time, um, the public is also a huge supporter and help in us being able to um, solve crime. How does that impact the police officers out there on the street? It's one thing for you as the chief and, and your deputies to think of it in terms of the big picture and the needs of the community and the needs of the media. But in fact, that impacts all the way down to the officers out there who don't have the opportunity necessarily to think about it in, in a big picture kind of way. Well, I think from from what I've seen, the officers today are, um, you know, 
so capable and, and smart and educated and savvy about social media, uh, they use it all the time. Uh -huh. And um, they're constantly uh, sharing information with each other. Um, even officers that are off duty are constantly um, you know, pushing something out. Um, if somebody has a photo that they can't recognize the person in, um, within a matter of minutes, somebody will say, that's, you know, looks like so-and-so. Um, so, th so the officers are very uh, um, creative in how, how they use it. Uh, and I think the, the key with information is, is getting as close to real time as we can. And that's, that's what some of the tools help us to do. What are some of the situations that have evolved in, in the 10 years here where the story has gotten out ahead of the facts and what was really going on? Um, you know, we'll see it in, in just some uh, cases where uh, there will be a, a road blockage, as an example, um, and somebody will put something out um, that, you know, somebody was hurt. Um, and it can be, if, if we're not careful and we're not fact-checking, um, we can get involved in pushing information that um, isn't accurate. So we want to make sure that when we are when we are putting it out, that it is accurate. What's changed in terms of crime and the nature of crime here in Napa? Well, I think it's not just Napa. I think it's um, across the country. Um, first of all, it's it's uh, crime is a lot more uh, global uh, with the internet, uh, with um, the you know, the transient nature of people from all over the world being able to move around, uh, you, you have to be able to deal with it in, log um, in that perspective. Um, you know, you go back in the day and you had jurisdictions. Well, most crime occurred in cities um, where the populations were. Right. And now it can be not just people from your city, but people coming in from other places. And um, we see a lot of fraud kinds of cases, um, uh, threats, um, you know, all kinds of different things that occur um, that we, we didn't deal with anywhere to the degree we do now. Um, I, th I think the, you know, what's going on now with um, Ferguson and New York in uh -huh. terms of some of the issues that, um, that that's created, um, I think um, right now it's, uh, it's, there's a couple of incidents that really have affected law enforcement nationwide. And, um, and there's a lot of questions about um, going forward what that means. One of the issues certainly that, that comes out of Ferguson is the idea of police forces being more diverse and being representative in some respects of the community. Talk a little bit about how that, that reality has been dealt with and, and, and really impacted this community. Well, I, you know, I think if you go back in the day when policing first started, uh, the police officers came from within those communities. And so from an understanding of the community culture, uh, the cultures of the people mm -hmm. within the community, um, it, was, it was much more prevalent. Um, fast forward to today where, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are cost-driven. You're trying to hire people that are experienced, and so you're getting people from a wide variety of areas. So not only do they not reflect your local community, they may not um, even reflect the kind of the character of your state if they come from out of state. And so it's, there's huge transitions. Um, and because of that, I think it's, it's really um, a lot of times the, the police don't reflect the community in the sense that they are, you know, whether it's demographically or um, culturally um, sensitive to um, the community. So you, you would basically say that it's as much cultural as it is racial or ethnic or anything else these days. Well, I think, I, I think that's right. I think that um, 
part of understanding the nature of a community, I can tell you coming from um, New Mexico to California, um, it, there's a significant difference in how the police uh, see things and how they, how they do things, some of the internal uh, cultural kinds of things. And, you know, in my case, it was, you know, you know I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just assume that the way you've been doing, you know, policing is the same pretty much everywhere, and it's not. What are the things that are different? Well, I think in terms of, uh, first of all, just a lot of our um, very basic levels, the codes that you use, the things, the terminology that you use, those are kind of the obvious. You have to learn those. Right. But, but, but a lot of it is um, there's past practice and how, how laws are enforced by an agency based on their, the way they've always been doing it. And a lot of times that isn't always um, communicated. You don't even know to ask the questions because you just assume that you know, how you'd been doing it was, right. is the way that it's being done now. And so there's a lot of nuanced kinds of um, uh, practices that, um, that I found that um, I, had to, I had to learn. What about ethnic diversity here in Napa, and, and to what extent has that been an issue, I mean, in recruitment and in really trying to reflect the community? I think, you know, it's a, it's, um, it's a real challenge in that, um, uh, first of all, Napa is um, – the uh, Hispanic Latino community is growing very rapidly. Um, several years ago, when I was looking at the school data, I noticed that over 50% of the students in Napa Unified um, were identified as um, Hispanic or Latino. So you can see as we as time goes on how that the population is going to continue to increase. Um, I think that uh, that so so partly what we have really prioritized in the police department are really two things. One is. Um, we're really pushing education. We really want to get people that have gone beyond high school um, and, and have, you know, gone into college, whether it's community college or four-year college degrees. We're getting a, a number of people now with four-year degrees. Um, and also we're, we're pushing um, um, bilingual and um, bicultural because that's an important part of policing is to really kind of have come from that understanding, not only from our standpoint, but from a perception standpoint, from the community standpoint. Is that hard to do? Has it been difficult to, to reflect that in the police, in the hiring practices? I, you know, I think, I think it has, um, but more because we, we use the same hiring practices that we had always been using and assume that we could use those and get a different result. And so we're having to really look at how we do hiring and onboard people and, um, and not be um, uh, too myopic in, in a singular kind of uh, fashion, but really look at how we bring people into the organization, not just as police officers, but dispatchers, community service officers, uh, clerical staff. Um, and, um, and what we're finding is, is that we're finding people that want to come in, they, they have a, um, a more gradual acclimation, and, um, and then when they do become officers, um, they do very well. Does Napa become more attractive in some ways in a period, for example, like now, where it, it's certainly rougher in big cities and, and more urban areas? Does someplace like Napa become more attractive in terms of recruitment? I, you know, I think... Um, depending on where people are at, um, if they have families and they have kids and, um, and they can find a, a way to afford to live here, which a lot of times right. that's you know, a little bit of a challenge. Uh, but uh, um, what we find is the environment here is really a great uh, family environment, great environment to live and to be able to live in the place that you work. Um, is, 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 a, is a real bonus. A lot of people are still, you know, we probably have maybe half of our uh, – 
uh, workforce that commutes from um, outside the city limits. And um, so it's, it, we're fortunate we have nice communities around us, but it is also nice to have the officers living in a community that they're serving. One of the other issues here, and you touched on it a moment ago in terms of talking about people coming in from all over the world and being a resort community to some extent, we have an excessive amount of people that are here from everywhere. And also in, in doing that, because they're paying what the average rate of a hotel room here now, I think is $450 a night, have a certain expectation in terms of public safety. I think that's right. I think that there is, um, and I think from our, our community as well, I think from our businesses, from our um, elected officials, from our residents, um, people have an expectation that they be treated fairly um, and um, they have an opportunity to be heard. And um, and I think that, uh, get, that gets delivered in Napa. I think that um, we have to be you know, cognizant that it, uh, even though we do have um, a high rate of tourism, we also have the people that live here and work here um, that also expect to be um, uh, a priority. And I think this, our elected officials are very, uh, um, you know, sensitive about that, and they want to make sure that that we're that we as a police department are paying attention to that as well. How does that filter down into the neighborhoods? How do the people in the neighborhoods who really are, are seeing it from their individual neighborhood perspective? How, how are you dealing with that? I mean, I know there's a lot of community forums that have been held, a lot of neighborhood meetings. Talk a little bit about how the department has been proactive in that regard. Well, you know, I think that um, it's interesting. I was just reading an uh, article today that um, on, on New York that uh, George Kelling and uh, Bill Bratton had just updated on the uh, broken windows mm-hmm. because that's been one of the issues that they're having there is this question of whether people should be the police should be focusing on minor offenses, the broken windows, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and so what, what I think is that um, in a lot of ways uh, we've become very reactive for a lot of reasons in policing. Um, you're, you had a downturn in the economy when you, when you start um, uh, cutting back on services. Uh, the things that you maintain are your ability to respond to major um, crimes, um, in-progress kinds of things. And so there can be a tendency to become more reactive just because you have to get to those things. So the challenge really is, is how do we carve out time to where we are working on the quality of life kinds of things? Because not only in Napa, but in New York, quality of life is still the number one issue right. when you talk to people that live in neighborhoods about what concerns them about um, their neighborhood and safety and uh, the, you know their quality of life. So I think for us, um, the challenge is um, how do we start to um, regularly deal with quality of life issues and, we, and place a priority um, so that it's not, uh, it's not one or the other? We're, we're still able to respond to um, the kinds of calls that we need to, but at the same time, we're still putting, we're putting a priority on um, dealing with the kinds of things that are creating problems in neighborhoods. I mean, it's fine. it seems that it's fine finding that nexus between the, the broken window stuff and community policing and how those two things kind of work together are the right balance. You know, I think the, the, the part that, that is missing a little bit sometimes when we look at the quality of life is it also is about um, trust and trust of the police. And, um, and I think that for trust to develop, you have to have uh, personal relationships. And so rather than have a unit that does community policing or that works on quality of life, every officer has a responsibility and a role with that. 
And so part of what we've done in Napa is we've divided up the we've we've actually asked the city how they divide themselves, and we we have self-identified. Um, uh, 26 neighborhoods and and so rather than us you know putting a beat through the middle of a neighborhood mm-hmm. we're making sure that we're keeping the neighborhoods intact and we're starting to look at the neighborhoods by the issues specific to those neighborhoods so we're policing more um, more focused in terms of dealing with the needs of um, specific neighborhoods and then in other neighborhoods making sure that we're being responsive to the needs that they have they may be a different time of day um, a different kind of um, issue so we need to be real time with um, and focused in helping to deal with those. And, of course, those aren't absolutely fixed either. There's th- Those are fluid. I mean, there are certain neighborhoods that you wouldn't think of as high crime areas or high theft areas that suddenly, all of a sudden, there's a rash of things that have happened in that neighborhood. So the, the focus seems like it has to shift. Right. So I think one of the uh, one of the other areas that we look at besides crime is we look at the number of calls per service mm-hmm. and what we're getting called for. And so as an example, you could have a situation where you have a barking dog. Well, that may seem like a fairly minor uh, kind of uh, event. And Unless you're the neighbor. Right? Unless you're the person dealing <laughs> right. with it. That's correct. And so let's say now you have um, eight of those calls. Well, you look at the cost associated with the time that's involved. You look at the, the elevation of the problem in terms of the neighbors because it hasn't been addressed. And so you can see where something that's kind of um, what well, seems fairly innocuous, you know, when you first deal with it can become a big problem. So what we want to look at, one of the things that we're looking at is how many times are we, we responding to the same address? And if we're continuing to respond, what do we need to do different so that we're not responding again? Uh-huh. Talk a little bit about uh, the drug issue here in Napa and what you've seen over 10 years with that. Certainly, you know, things go in fad, out of fad. The meth issue was, was, I think, probably worse at one point than it is today. Talk a little about that. Well, I, you know, the um, the drug issue, is, it's, it's interesting because you're seeing a lot of um, things happening with Prop 47, changes right. in some of the, uh, the uh, laws dealing with drugs. Um, but meth, in the time that I've been here, meth has continue to be a major problem. It still is. Um, and what we see with meth, there's a lot of association with meth and other crime, um, particularly property crime, um, but it can be um, violent crime as well. Um, there's, so that's, you know, that's an ongoing issue. It's a big problem. Um, it's a small percentage of people, but that small percentage of people create a lot of issues. Um, so the other thing we're seeing is, as you're seeing, particularly coming from um, the east and it's migrating this way, is heroin. Um, what's mm-hmm. happening with heroin is um, um, a lot of people that have gotten involved with um, prescription pain medication, um, pain, it's very expensive, um, and they can get heroin for a lot cheaper to have the same effect. Um, they've had wow. a lot of deaths lately because of the, the cutting agent they use in heroin. So I was just at a meeting with the, where the chief and uh, the state police in New Jersey spoke, and they'd had over 400 uh, overdose deaths. Um, there's a massive amount. So that that's migrating this way. Uh, the director of DEA, um, who um, I sit on a committee with, um, she's was able to map out all the all these kinds of things. Um, and then the obvious one is is marijuana. What's happening with marijuana? What are the impacts? Um, what are the repercussions with um, Colorado and Washington State? Um, so it's so there's a lot of um, a lot moving in the drug arena. And of course, the likelihood. I've been mean, coming back to the marijuana thing. The likelihood that things may change again come the election in two years here in California. That we may be closer to Colorado than anything else. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation that there will be a ballot initiative right. in uh, in 2016 on uh, marijuana, and there will be quite a bit of money um, supporting that. 
And if something like that were to pass, and obviously we don't know what it would look like or, or how the initiative might be, but something moving more towards Colorado or Washington, how, how do you think that would affect policing? Well, I think, you know, first of all, I think we have to be um, realistic in terms of what could happen. The one thing that I know they've tried to get in both Colorado and Washington State and haven't been able to do it, and we, I think we'd certainly push for it in California, would be some type of uh, presumptive level um, where if you had a certain amount of marijuana in your system, you'd be deemed to be impaired to be driving. Same as a DUI, um, essentially. Correct. Uh, because that's one of the one of the real issues um, that we have. The other one is is dealing with um, how do you deal with marijuana in uh, young people, um, with juveniles, people under the age of eighteen, uh, because of the impacts. And there's some pretty good studies that show that um, it does have some pretty uh, significant impact um, on the uh, adolescent brain. To what extent do you leave here feeling that the past ten years have policing has really improved in Napa? What do you feel your legacy is over the past ten years in terms of policing here? You know, I, I think uh, you know part of it is is change change is slow, <laughs> and uh, but I think you know hopefully that um, one of the things that we're seeing is um, you know there's, we'll have more focus on uh, service. Um, and putting, you know, the other parts of policing in kind of in context and perspective. Um, I think the, uh, the focus on having every officer having a role in dealing with um, uh, quality of life issues on a regular basis and, and developing relationships with, um, um, with the community um, will be something you'll, that will continue to go forward and be a part. It won't, you know, there's no plateau. It's just going to have to be a continuing evolution. I think the um, you know the integration of uh, the technology and how we're using uh, a technology um, and uh, analysis um, in helping to uh, make priority policing decisions and focus, I think will be something that will be continued. I think the um, in terms of the workforce, the ed and the uh, focus on education and um, having a a more diverse uh, working staff, I think will be a continued focus. So I think a lot of those things will continue uh, in the organization. And I think, you know, I don't know that there'll ever be a plateau, but I think you'll see uh, more of that continue as time goes on. How did you decide to get involved in law enforcement originally? I actually have uh, several uh, relatives that had been in law enforcement, and I think that was probably the, uh, the reason that I got interested and you're happy you made those decisions 37 you know, years later? Actually, it's been, it has really been a good career. Um, you know, you, a lot of the focus is on the, you know, kind of the negative or the extreme kinds of things that occur. But what, you, what doesn't get talked about a lot or enough is all the good things that pe go on in communities and that people do. Even within the police department, I just see incredible work every day that our staff does. And it's not the kind of thing that... Um, you know, is going to make a headline, mm -hmm. but it's the kind of thing that's going to sure make somebody's day and has really improved somebody's life and, you know, a situation that they're in. Um, I think in terms of how we approach um, the homeless population, as an example, um, and I, you know, I'm just amazed at uh, how that uh, our staff is able to deal with that day in and day out and keep such a positive um, approach in dealing with people in, you know, some pretty difficult circumstances. All the national attention, we were talking about it before, focused on law enforcement, police, and, and all the things that are going on around the country. 
How, if at all, does that filter down and impact the morale and the attitudes, in, even in a community like this, that is in many ways removed from all of that? But it's got to have some residual impact. Well, I think, you know, we had uh, two officers that went back to the funeral uh, last week mm-hmm. for the, uh, uh, one of the New York officers that was um, uh, buried back there. And um, I, the law enforcement community, even though we're pretty diverse across the state uh, and across the country, um, is still pretty close-knit in, in a lot of ways. A lot of communication goes on. And, um, and because what we see is we see something happen, and then we see other people copying it or emulating it. And um, certainly we've seen that with what happened in uh, New York. Right. And so... Um, and it can happen anywhere, and and they're very well aware of that. And so um, they're constantly having to, you know, um, pay attention to these alerts and the tactics and the type of people that are maybe doing these kinds of things and the information that's being pushed out. And um, and I think that's one of the concerns as administrators that um, a lot of law enforcement administrators are concerned about now is, is exactly – um, what, how that's going to impact policing. If, if the police are going to be hesitant to go out and, and be aggressive in dealing with um, problems and crime, um, that just doesn't happen in New York and in Ferguson. That it filters happens. down it everywhere. Happen. It can happen everywhere. Right. And this whole issue of, for example, cameras, you know, and, and all of that. Talk a little bit about your thoughts about that. Well, I think, uh, you know, the cameras have been around a long time. Um, and uh, you're on camera many times during the course of a day because businesses and, uh, you know, different places have them. You go through toll booths. And uh, so they're all over the place. We have, you know, a number of them in the downtown area on streets. And uh, so, so cameras are, have been around. What, what has changed has really been, um, you know, the, where there have been a few incidents where they've, they've had issues with police on film. And video, and, it, and then there's this speculation that there could be, you know, more of that. Maybe that's the norm. And um, so I think uh, you, what you're going to see is you're going to see more and more police um, have cameras. And um, the real challenge with that is the policy that drives it when they're on, um, and you know how long you keep video for, and how do you deal with all the Poker Records Act requests and the cost associated with all that? Right, and of course, all of that uh, is seems to be still up in the air. There's there's no single policy anywhere that seems to address all of those issues. Well, I think you know what what you'll see is um, if if you're on a, on certain type of calls, there'll be requirement to have them on. Um, the, if there's a, it's a case is cut on it, um, the video will be tied to the case. Uh, if video, you have a lot of video where there is no case cut, then you'll probably have some kind of a 30 or 60 day retention policy. And then after that, you'll, um, you'll get rid of it and, you know, so you don't get overwhelmed with storage. And then, of course, there's all sorts of privacy issues and security issues surrounding that. I mean, it could be hacked as easy as Sony Pictures. I right. Mean, and and I think even when, when we release it, that's something we have to have somebody reviewing to make sure that we're not violating privacy issues. Um, and if you have five officers that are on a call, it's not just one video. You have to look at all five videos and you have to, you know, so it's, it's a lot more complex and, and, um, and as a result, costly. But it's going to be something, I think, that's going to be something that we'll be going to within the next year. Mm-hmm. What's been the biggest challenge, the most difficult thing for you in the 10 years you've been here in Napa? You know, I, I think first was just adjusting to uh, policing in California. Um, and and um, in, when I was in New Mexico, I'd, 
uh, served on a lot of different committees uh, statewide and uh, been president of the State Chiefs Association and so been pretty active involved mm -hmm. and you come to California it's a very big state um, and a lot of really talented uh, police chiefs and uh, so it um, in, in making a decision on how I stay involved you know so that I still kept balance um, I still stayed involved uh, federally um, at the national level um, with the International Association Chiefs of Police. Um, and, um, and I really made a decision not to get too involved at the state level just because there were so many uh, capable people. But I still did end up getting on the uh, Cal Chiefs board and, and got involved in a number of things. And um, it's, it's a, uh, the challenge has been I think there is just uh, things are changing faster and faster and um, there's so much more coming at you. Um, that it's just as you don't have the time to sit down and really get to get your arms wrapped around certain issues because you're dealing with so many different kinds of things that are going on. And of course, you were here uh, what ten minutes when there was a rare double homicide right. here in Napa. Two months, I mean, that was one actually, of the first yeah. things that you had to confront. Right. right. I mean that that you must have thought, what? What? I took this job. Why? Well, I think you know. It, it, it was one of those that it was, you know, obviously a very high-profile case, and um, and it took a while to uh, to get it uh, to get it solved. Right. Uh, a lot of media attention, um, and I think, you know, for a lot of reasons, and uh, so there was a lot of a lot of pressure. But we had great support from um, other law enforcement agencies. FBI was tremendous, um, and uh, you know, the state in terms of their crime lab. Um, so there was just a lot of really good things went on in, in putting that case together. But it really also helps you really see what your capabilities are uh, in an organization and, and um, you know, the talent that's there. And so it, it, was, uh, it was pretty hectic for a while, but it uh, uh, was certainly uh, something to get your jump Trial right in. Trial by fire. Right, right. <laughs> Jumping in. What's in the future? Well, I don't know. I have uh, four or five things out there that I may do. I, I don't. I'm not looking for another chief's position, but um, you know, I may do some teaching, uh, do some consulting. Um, there's a couple of private uh, companies that are talking to me about doing some things. So, um, so I don't want to. What I, I told them, I don't want to uh, do have an eight to five schedule, and um, I want to have some flexibility in terms. Of I don't want to be full time. So, um, so I'm kind of going forward. I want to stay busy. I want to stay engaged. But I want to do it a little bit more on uh, focused on what I want to be involved in, which is really looking at, at seeming looking at the big picture and some of these policy issues I really, that we've I'm really been talking interested about in, in the future of policing and and what we need to do to change things in a thoughtful way as opposed to reacting to a crisis. I thank you so much for coming in and sure. uh, sharing some of this with us and joining us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.